week. Temperature at the observatory, 30 degrees centigrade, and the relative humidity, some 83%. There's a very hot weather warning in force at the moment. And that's the news and weather from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Janice. Today we're talking about building safety after experts identified some two dozen buildings on Hong Kong Island that are at an immediate risk of having falling masonry. The Hong Kong Institution of Building and Inspectors, together with the DAB party, inspected 50 buildings that were considered high risk due to their age and inspection status. Half of them were found to have various defects that experts say could pose an immediate risk to the community. The findings come amid a spate of incidents involving concrete falling from buildings over the last couple of months. After 9.45, we'll find out more about the mainland's latest satellite that can help with disaster prevention. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, before we um, get into our discussion, just some uh, traffic news. Um, the Transport Department uh, says that uh, the uh, because of a vehicle that is on fire, all tunnel tube lanes of Take Kearns Tunnel, Kowloon bound, are closed to all traffic traffic and uh, motorists are advised to uh, uh, take care and uh, be patient and uh, uh, of course uh, pay attention to any uh, announcements by the radio or TV on the latest traffic conditions. Now um, to kick off our discussion this morning we have on the line Marvin Chen the Honorary President of the Hong Kong Institution of Building Inspectors and uh, in a moment we'll also be joined by Tony Zha, Chairman of the Building Division at the Hong Kong Institute of Engineers. Good morning Mr Chen. Good morning Janice. Good morning Mac. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, according to the inspections your group carried out, 50% of the buildings inspected are at an immediate risk of having falling masonry. Are, are you surprised by this figure or is it within your expectation? Uh, not really, because if you look at the buildings that we're given to inspect, that actually all of them are aged over 40 years. And actually um, more than half of them are over 60 years old. So it's obviously that, uh, and uh, uh, one uh, particular uh, characteristic of the building selectors are they are all three new buildings, which means that uh, there are no incorporated owners, there's no residence group, or there, there's no um, property management company to take care of the maintenance. So it's expected that uh, and and uh, actually most of them had already received the uh, uh, mandatory inspection orders or even repair orders from the uh, buildings department so it's obviously this building are uh, considered as a potentially um, high risk building yeah good morning marvin this is uh, uh, good morning this we this is the second time we've had this subject i think in the last month oh yes <laughs> and um I, and I've written about it as well in the newspaper because, I, I, as it happened, I was served a statutory notice, uh, something to do with my flat, and I, I, I fixed it straight away. And I was writing about the case where after nine years after a statutory notice was issued, uh, nothing had been done on the, on the site. I mean, 
Yes, there'd been a survey uh, of what needed to be done, but nothing had been actually executed after nine years. This, this what you mentioned, the three zeros, is, is pretty serious, isn't it? It's a pretty alarming situation. There's no owners incorporation, there's no residence association, there's no management company. So who can, who can hire engineers or inspectors? That, that's exactly the, the, the problem. And that's why we, we um, this, this time is that really these are potentially um, really in the situation is a very difficult to resolve uh, because there's no enough uh, representation from the owners to lead any repairs or any uh, even inspection um, works. So in that case, even though I understand the government trying to, to, to help intervene, but uh, the situation I don't see that can be improved um, uh, naturally um, uh, within the short time unless the government take an active uh, role in uh, intervention. And, and that, that's why um, I think we all need to really look into the problem. Uh, especially the, these uh, three new buildings. Right. Now, when we talk about these uh, three new buildings, I mean, they have existed for a long time. And uh, like you mentioned, uh, efforts have been made to reduce the numbers, right? So what, what are the numbers like now? I mean, have they been uh, reduced significantly? Has the problem uh, improved? Uh, the other buildings, you mean? Yeah. Okay, uh, I think um, the the recent year we, we we did hear from the secretary for uh, development that uh, actually orders have been served to to progressively to to look at uh, these uh, other buildings over especially um, over thirty years old, which is uh, under uh, within the scope of the mandatory inspection regime um, and the, the problem we see that uh, uh, is that while uh, even though with uh, they might be with uh, uh, incorporate owners but it takes time for them to organize which they are not experienced um, and one of another um, issues uh, we see that is the funding um, um, so uh, uh, there are various uh, subsidies from the government and especially from the URA um, under the um, the um, uh, um, uh, building bright operation. But the, the thing is that uh, it, it is even to apply for the money, and they they um, they need uh, um, up to maybe up the application. Even they are successful, they may need uh, five up to five years before they can get the approval for proceeding even with the inspection. And, um, and then you carry out uh, finding the um, right uh, inspect uh, inspectors. And then afterwards, they need to tender for the worst. It may take up to eight and nine years. So it's not surprising under the current um, uh, practice that uh, the resident, even they want to go ahead, they may still need to wait for an, another uh, seven, five, uh, seven, eight, nine years before they can really proceed with any repair works on site. And uh, so that, that's the, 
that, that this current situation. All right. And uh, just a reminder that uh, if uh, you have any comments or questions for our guests this morning, you can uh, give us a call on 233-88266, leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or email us at backchat at rthk.hk. And uh, Mr. Chen, I have a question here from our listener, Marcus. And uh, it's about uh, the inspections uh, your group carried out earlier. And uh, he wants to know where the unsafe buildings are. Mr. Chen, can you uh, reveal their locations? Um, okay. Um, basically, it's uh, within the um, eastern um, district of the Hong Kong Island. Um, so ranging from the uh, Wan Chai to um, up to Zhap uh, 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 Yichong, okay. So uh, all, 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 all are within that district, uh, yeah. So Quarry Bay as well? Uh, Quarry Bay, yes. All right. Uh, Mr. Chen, it seems there's a, a fundamental problem here with the three zeros. Is, is there a case for legislation? Um, not now. Um, I, I think, but uh, but I think certainly, I think the government needs to see um, that uh, 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 they need, do need to do and take an active role, as I've already uh, 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 suggested. But of course, it's again, it's a matter of resources. You see that in Hong Kong, there are over 4,003 new buildings, uh, I understand. And it will get more and more uh, as you know, the, the years goes by. So, um, so these, these are really uh, quite uh, uh, quite a huge amount. How we we go into uh, 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 resolving one goal? So that that's right. another problem. So I th- I think we're looking really to the maybe the Home Affairs Bureau to talk to people at the social level and try and get them to organise incorporated owners. Uh, yes, I, I think the, the actually my understanding is that the government um, they actually have been a, a, a programs to helping those uh, residents. But problem with the three news is that those old buildings, even the owners, sometimes uh, most of the cases, the owners uh, uh, quite a quite number of owners, they cannot be located for these buildings. Right. Um, uh, um, and even I have a personal experience, I do have a. Uh, redevelopment uh, um, uh, a project. Uh, they want to, you know, uh, take on and 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 uh, um, these uh, three new buildings next door uh, into a redevelopment. But the, the things that they spend years and they can't find the owners of some of the flats. So right. that is really a, the fundamental problem. Some of the owners may have passed away or may passed have emigrated. Yeah, yeah, those, those three things, because uh, we, we can see that uh, even though they're trying active to search for the owner, and, and all, all things is that uh, they may have people collecting the rent, they are not owners, and uh, they cannot find the true owners. So that, that is really an, an issue with, with these uh, uh, aged buildings. Yes, it must be a lot of work. Um, mm. But if someone's collecting the rent, somebody claims they own it, <laughs> mm. uh, I, I think there's uh, engage, uh, it's a lot of legal issue. I, 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 I don't know how, how long, but uh, obviously uh, if, if there's uh, immediate danger, definitely um, the government should uh, take an, as I said, uh, probably we really need to, only the government can have that authority to uh, uh, carry out some of the emergency works to, 
right. to, to say the least. All right. Uh, now let's uh, now bring in Tony Zha, Chairman of the Building Division at the Hong Kong Institute of Engineers. Good morning, Mr. Zha. Uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So uh, we've been discussing uh, different ways and also difficulties uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, uh, tackling uh, uh, the maintenance of old buildings. And uh, just now, uh, Mr. Chen, he, he was uh, saying that he doesn't believe there's a need for legislation when it comes to uh, um, making sure old buildings, they, they have an uh, owner's corporation. Um, what's your view on that? Uh, I think it's... Uh uh, in touch with the, I think, legal and the ownership issue, okay? But I think that uh, the most important thing is uh, uh, if the building, uh, I think, um, have the uh, safety hazards, especially of the uh, sporting concrete, falling concrete, I think we need to take action in the first instance, okay, in, in, in several ways. I think the, the, the uh, optimistic, uh, ideal way is that the owner, uh, of the building to take the action to check and to do the necessary maintenance and repair. I think if it uh, got some of the issue about the ownership issue, maybe the government need to step in because uh, public safety is the ability both utmost important issue. Yeah, Mr. Zales, you, you, of course you, you represent engineers, and uh, engineers are, are people. They need to earn money, so someone has to engage them to do this inspection work and then draw up a program of works. Um, but what, what happens when there are no, there's no one asking them to do the work? There's no owners, there's no management as a company. There's no owners in corporation. Uh, I think first of all, putting it this way, we engineers mainly get in touch with, I think, uh, the structural design and the structural issue. I think um, the sporing concrete um, uh, for the aged building, I think it's mainly get in touch with, say, the, uh, the rendering layer or the concrete protection layer. Um, in the, I think, um, uh, situation where the building, the overall structural stability is a uh, Question: I think the owner of the building need to engage the engineer or the structural engineer to do the analysis and see what type of uh, rectification is required to maintain the structural integrity of the building. Right. And if for the building is not uh, uh, going into such a serious uh, problem, uh, actually, like uh, in building department, they got the registered inspector. The registered inspector comprises of a, a variety of professionals. I think engineers is one of the professionals. They got the also the surveyor, uh, the the uh, the, the constructor, uh, they, they are the uh, registered inspector. They could do uh, the 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 the, uh, the, uh, the I think the uh, first step. The uh, I think checking the health of the building uh, and uh, submit the report to the owner to see that what's the second step uh, needs to be carried out. Right, but if there's no incorporated owners, then. Um, should the government be more aggressive, more forceful, and, and step in directly? Uh, <laughs> get, that, get in touch with the government. So I think, put it this way, if the building is in a normal situation, I don't think the government needs to be stepped in. But if I told you the government, there's uh, quite a number of buildings is uh, arrived at the age of over 50 years, some of, uh, I think uh, uh, apparently got some, I think, the safety hazards issue. I think the government should step in on these uh, groups of buildings. Right. Marvin? 
Yeah, I, I think the uh, totally. I think it's it's always the public safety is the first priority. So uh, we can't just um, uh, um, uh, leave these buildings there and uh, and sometimes describe the time bomb, isn't it? So I think that the government do need to to uh, step in, um, especially on these uh, three new buildings. But the point is that I, I, I always think it's that it's a matter of the resources. If the, the consensus, the, 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 the um, community needs to make it safe and uh, there's no immediate means uh, because of the ownership problems. The only one they can do is the rely on the government. And then um, then the government needs to really put in the resources um, uh, uh, to employ other means to step in as soon as possible, right. especially for those high-risk uh, buildings. So the government should commission someone to do a, a study of the problem building and draw up a schedule of works? Um, yeah, I think I think the 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 the, the way is that uh, it's in the emergency state uh, some of right. these uh, buildings, so I think it's need uh, and emergency actions. And the government can employ a contractor to do those urgent works. Then the the, the government always have this authority. They can always under the even the existing uh, legislation, the government can always uh, if uh, to carry out uh, these uh, repair works. And then later, uh, they can recover the cost from the building's owners. Right. But things, as you can see, that is again, it's, uh, it's uh, even the administrative fee and time is uh, uh, pretty um, uh, um, uh, uh, great. So, so I think this, and uh, uh, that's why the, the the previously the government uh, is uh, have a reservation to to play and uh, to intervene, but. But now, as situation, I think things is getting worse. So really, the government may may need to to really play a more, as you say, aggressive role or proactive role. Right. Talking about uh, the government playing uh, the need for the government to play a more aggressive role, I have a message here from our listener Mike, and he he says, uh, anything falling onto the street is a criminal offence. Uh, I, I guess he's suggesting that uh, uh, maybe more should be done to to penalise uh, owners uh, of uh, buildings that are uh, that are not properly maintained. Now, now, uh, Mr. Chen, uh, when we look at uh, the penalty right now, um, if owners fail to comply with the building's department's uh, statutory notice to inspect and repair the building, they face a fine of $50,000 and one year imprisonment. Um, what do you think of the that uh, penalty? Is it enough? Um, well, um, it, it, it's really... Um, uh, there's, there's a various degree, and also there's uh, uh, even uh, civil um, offense which they can claim damages from the contractors, uh, uh, sorry, the, the owners. So I, I, I think, obviously, a greater penalty... Uh, would be one the way we we can uh, explore, but the fundamental problem is that uh, most of the time you need to um, uh, what you say um, facilitate the whole process so making it faster. Uh, and if they have uh, the 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 already they have some um, incorporated owners, uh, a, a, a maybe a heavier penalty, maybe a more um, sort of way uh, to force these. Uh, uh, a resident to have a more active role, but for three new buildings, even you increase no matter what penalty you have, the problem is that uh, um, they don't 
I mean, the, the, the owners are not there, just not there. So they are not, uh, uh, there's still no action can be taken. So I think that the, the really we, we need to have a multi-prong in, apart right. from just uh, looking at the penalty. Right. If the government steps in and does the work or commissions and a contractor to do the works, then presumably the bill for that has got to be shared by all the owners of, of the building. Uh, uh, true, true, yes. It have to be, there'd have to be a claim, and if the individual owner didn't pay, then I guess uh, something would have to be lodged in the land office that there was an outstanding bill in respect of that particular apartment or shop. Well, that, that's the current practice, okay? Yeah. Which yeah, is, right. I, I guess I, I think I might, that's my understanding, that uh, you, 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 you can do that. Right. Definitely. <clears throat> so that that apartment couldn't change hands again until someone had settled the outstanding bill. But that's very cumbersome, isn't it? It's true. That, but that, that's the way. We, if you, we, there's no other way because you, if the owner uh, uh, did not respond, especially um, in, in most cases, mm. not just the owner, even the resident there, the occupants there are probably from the low-income um, uh, families, right? right? They can't afford to pay. So so that's another, uh, create another social problems that we need to uh, consider carefully. Yes, and the mentioned, uh, Tony mentioned just now the subsidy schemes. One of the alarming figures about the subsidy schemes that I, I surfaced from writing my column in the South China Morning Post, is out of the 1,100 approved subsidies, a work had only taken place in 100 of them. So there doesn't seem to be any any follow-up to make sure that works are being done. Who should be responsible well, for that? Uh, I, 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 I noticed that the Secretary for Development has uh, responded uh, the other day that... Uh, Maybe the government needs to, to take a more uh, aggressive role uh, to follow up with all these um, uh, overdue uh, um, um, building. No, no. So I, 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 I'm looking forward to uh, some uh, solid uh, actions from the government to 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 follow up with the cases. But at the same time, I, I think we 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 also need to uh, probably we also need to review the whole. The, subsidy scheme in the procedures to see if we can um, uh, and, and, and grant all these things uh, faster to bring more resources to to help those residents because some of the residents they do encounter difficulties because they don't have the funding uh, available in a good time so uh, uh, from these uh, subsidy screen schemes so maybe that's uh, another way the government can can look uh, to see how they can uh, um, have a faster means of uh, uh, granting or approving or reviewing all those applications. Right. Do you have any suggestions on that? How can they speed it up? Um, uh, the other day, I, I, um, I mean, the, the um, Honourable Ewellung uh, Hay had uh, suggested from DA, uh, DAB, has suggested that probably one of the uh, the means is that uh, um, maybe the government can consider um, to have the inspection 
carry out first before the um, money is granted. Because now is that you need to have the money, and then before you can embark on anything, including inviting the consultants uh, or the inspector to do the inspection. So if you can have the inspection to the first, maybe it help. But again. Obviously, is that who can monitor the, the 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 procurement process in a fair and just uh, manner? So there are some technical issues. I see they need to be resolved. But definitely, if we can have the inspection, um, uh, um, which is actually not the um, not take, uh, only take a very uh, little portion of the entire subsidies, then probably they can if they can do it first. And obviously, we can identify some of the emergency right. uh, instead of the waiting. All so right, I think that could shorten the process. All right, Mr. Zhao, we have to take a short news break. Let's uh, continue our discussion afterwards in around uh, two minutes' time. And uh, now, if you want to ask our guests questions or share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 And here's a quick look at the weather sunny intervals and a few showers very hot during the day with a top temperature of around 33 degrees the very hot weather warning is now in force winds moderate southwesterlies and uh, just a reminder that the amber heat stress at work warning is in effect indicating that the heat stress in some work environment is high and right now it's 30 degrees relative humidity 81 (laughs) percent It's now 9.30. With a new summary, here's Stu Pryke. The Institute of Engineers says it hopes the government can relax drone laws so they can be used for work purposes in urban areas. Tony Saar from the group's building divisions says using drones and big data to map buildings will reduce inspection time and costs by up to 50%. He was commenting on a recent spate of incidents of people being injured by falling masonry from old buildings. Mr Saar said he understood the need for drone restrictions, but that an exception could be made for well-regulated inspections. Legal officials in the US state of Georgia have requested that Donald Trump be arraigned in court in early September with a proposal for a trial date of March of next year. Mr Trump and 18 co-defendants are facing charges of seeking to overturn the results of the 2020 election in the state. They've already been told to present themselves to Georgia's Fulton County Jail before August the 25th. And police in Ireland say a glitch that allowed people to withdraw funds despite having little or no money in their accounts has been fixed. Large queues had formed at many Bank of Ireland cash machines in the Republic of Ireland on Tuesday after word of the glitch spread. So more news and weather at 10 from RTHK. Red light, don't walk. Red line, don't go. Red flag, don't swim. When a red flag is hoisted at beaches, it can mean rough seas. Bad weather, a red tide, water pollution, or other dangers. Please don't swim during these conditions. Wait until the red flag is removed and a red and yellow flag is hoisted. Also, parents must take care of their children at swimming pools and beaches. Learn the beach flag signals. Swim safely. Crossing the road is a bit like playing chess. You need to be careful and smart. Don't jaywalk and cross between parked vehicles. Be attentive. Look around and listen. For safety reasons, you must use the crossing facilities even if you have to walk further. Follow traffic rules and be aware of traffic conditions. Avoid walking into or staying in the blind spots of large vehicles. Mr. David reminds you, keep your cool on the road, stay alert, 
stay alive. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Janice Wong. We're looking at building safety today after experts identified some two dozen buildings on Hong Kong Island that are at an immediate risk of having falling masonry. And uh, still with us on the program is Tony Tsar, chairman of the building division at the Hong Kong Institute of Engineers, and uh, Marvin Chen, the honorary president of the Hong Kong Institution of Building Building Inspectors. And uh, before we go back in, in into our discussion. I've got a, uh, a little uh, a traffic update um, because uh, there was a fire in uh, in the uh, Tate Cairns Tunnel. The uh, Tunnel Tube Slow Lane, Kowloon Bound, is still being closed to all traffic and uh, the Tunnel Tube Fast Lane has uh, reopened and uh, it's the only lane available to motorists right now. And uh, also KMB services there have uh, still been affected and uh, also um, motorists are advised to use alternative uh, tunnels such as uh, the uh, Lion Rock Tunnel and uh, also the transport department says that uh, traffic is uh, very congested there right now. Okay, um, we can go back into our discussion. Um, all right, and uh, earlier, just before the news, uh, Mr. Tsar, you're talking about uh, the need um, maybe in future to inspect the building first. Um, can you can you maybe talk about how we these kind of inspections can be carried out uh, quickly? I, I know uh, you've been talking about it yesterday about the uh, use of uh, AI technology. Yes, um, we did have a technical seminar yesterday night, and as you know, that uh, the uh, pleasant or traditional way of uh, inspecting a building uh, evidence involves having established a working platform, usually the uh, bamboo scaffold working platform. Or some uh, high-rise building, we might need to I think, uh, erect the uh, temporary gondola. And the inspector need to go up and down, either uh, through the uh, bamboo scaffold or uh, uh, using the temporary gondola to inspect the building area by area, location by location. And after then, uh, the I think temporary working platform or the gondola need to be uh, uh, taken down. Uh, it both involves uh, manpower, time, and, and resources. Uh, this is the traditional way. Okay. Uh, the technical seminar we uh, the the, uh, the more uh, once uh, the um, uh, inspection method we shared yesterday is uh, by using the drum equipped with the thermal heat camera and collecting the big data. And then we could do, uh, do the, uh, the uh, on-site uh, checking in, uh, in a few days and collect the data back to the laboratory or office for the data analysis and, and report generation. Uh, it will, I think, uh, greatly reduce the, the time and the cost for the inspection required for the building envelope. All right, so, so how much time and how much money can it save? Um, put it this way, uh, for an average, say, maybe 10-plus story building, I think uh, if you need to erect the uh, working space, external working platform and the inspector climbing up and down to do inspection piece by piece by piece, then take down the, the, the working platform, it takes at least a month. And according to technical similar, uh, the, the, uh, the, the vendor, the technical vendor share that uh, by using the technology, it takes uh, maybe just 10 working days. For the 10 working days, for the first few, pay, few days, it's uh, on-site, I think, inspection using drum and the data collection. And the remaining time is, is just back to the office to do the data analysis and the report generation. Yeah, generating. And you can see that it could quickly reduce the time for more than 50%. And the cost is same, yeah. 
it was reduced by more than 50%. Right. Do you think the government should now, in, in the light of the, all these incidents, and they seem to be more every week, should the government now be very proactively inspecting on its own initiative all these old buildings using drones? I think put the um, uh, uh, problem in, in this way. Um, now we got maybe nearly um, 9,000 buildings aged uh, 50 years above, but to reflect not the 9,000 buildings are in, I think, immediately, uh, uh, I think, in safety houses. I think, first of all, I think the government uh, need to educate the owner to do the inspection. Okay, I, I, I think not all the owners are reluctant to do their mm. ma- uh, maintenance and inspection of a building. Uh, however, you can you, you know that for this kind of age building, it's back to 30 or 40 years ago. Maybe at that time, uh, the, the concept of incorporated owner, uh, own, uh, uh, incorporated own, owner is not uh, so solid. Uh, that's why they don't know how to do it. Maybe the government needs to educate and uh, through some of the, I think, the uh, authority, uh, to guide them how to do that. Only in uh, the uh, instance that where the building owner, for whatever reason, quite resistant to carry out their maintenance and inspection duty, then the government need to be, need to step in. And because of the, I think, quantum of the building involved, I think that the using of this uh, one technology will quickly reduce the time and quality and the speed for the, of the inspection. All right. Mr. Chen, what do you think about the use of thermal heat cameras or drones for these uh, building inspections? Uh, I totally agree with Tony that uh, these uh, technology, actually, they are available. I should understand even the, the authority, uh, the government is using that uh, in, uh, in, in helping them to identify these buildings. The problem with uh, drone, one thing is that actually we do have the technology. Actually, even the, our some of the uh, inspectors do know how to manipulate the drones. Uh, but the problem is that uh, if you fly in there, there is some issue of privacy, issue of authority. So unless you get the approval from the owners, so the private initiator uh, 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 drone operation may be difficult because it's easily uh, charging to the um, <laughs> these uh, 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 privacy uh, issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that that's why uh, um, the technology there. This all all these about is the procedure and authority and, right. uh, from the owners. Because people could be taking pictures of things that they shouldn't be taking pictures of. Uh, exactly. Exactly that's the case. Because you can't avoid looking to the picture and their windows and then you can't really, you, you, you will see a lot of things you're not supposed <laughs> to be <laughs> seeing. Do you think there's a role here for the revamped district councils? Um, um, yeah, definitely the district council could, could, could help to, uh, to, uh, uh, liaise with the, the, uh, owners of the building trying to assist. And, uh, and maybe that's one of the things is that we're trying to, uh, I totally agree with Tony that the, the big thing is that the owners should have, uh, uh this, uh, sense of uh, maintaining their own properties. And, uh, right now, um, the thing is actually this this time we we're trying to do this uh, rapid so-called uh, rapid inspections that uh, even though it's not a full complete uh, uh, survey or inspections, but it's just uh, a, a quick things to identify uh, which will be easily grasped uh, from uh, visual and, and coupled with the the simple handheld tools. 
that could identify at least the 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 uh, some of these problems. So if they identify certain things they are not comfortable, then they could they should go and uh, reach uh, raise the alarm and and seek help from right. uh, this council or others. So that that's one thing I think we need to get all the owners and even the community right. to to be involved. So the district councillors can take a part, play a part in that public education effort of the importance of owners taking responsibility for their own assets. Definitely. All right. And um, Mr. Sa, I want to go back to you. Um, do you have any response to, uh, to, uh, to the concerns expressed by uh, Mr. Chen over the use of uh, uh, drones, maybe, like on the privacy issue? I think the concern raised by Marvin is correct. But uh, in doing so, uh, maybe we need to think of how to, I think, tackle the issue. Say, for example, uh, for the drone operator, apart from he need to be licensed, Maybe he did to, I think, uh, uh, combine with some of the, I think, uh, like privacy, I think, requirement. Is there anything that he, uh, uh, he has shooting is not, not for the purpose of the, uh, I think, building inspection and the, uh, the health of the building uh, analysis? He should just, I think, ignore it or drop it. Yeah, I think there's some rules and conduct need to be either laid down or established. If uh, the government grant the permit for the drum operator to do the work, I think I think somehow we 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 could tackle it by uh, laying some rules and conduct. Uh, what is the, what is the present licensing arrangement for the drones doing this kind of work? The present arrangement. Yes. The present arrangement is the drone operator, I think, with a certain weight, like more than 250 grams, it needs to get the registration. That's all. Maybe further than that, if the drone is used for the purpose of, say, especially for the uh, building inspection, something like that, and maybe this should be some more uh, uh, rules and conduct to mm. lay down for the operator before granting the special uh, permits for the operator to operate the drone in the, I think, the public area doing the building inspection work. Right. Are, are there any rules at the moment? Uh, I think I, I have a quick check on the, I think, the civil uh, aviation department rules. It's simple that, simply that you need to be, I think, trained and registered. There's no, I think, I mentioned about how to tackle with the, I think, privacy issue. I think, say, put it this way, if, if the I think, general public has been registered and has been trained, he will also, I think, do some, something which is not suitable. I think that needs to be regulated, no matter whether it's used for the leisure purpose or for the special, I think, I think uh, purpose of, of doing the inspection and checking. Right, because there have been stories of people flying flying these drones uh, near to hotels um, and taking pictures and so on? Uh, in principle, you could do that, but uh, actually there's a, quite a, a number of restricted uh, areas which the drone uh, uh, is not allowed to fly. I think right. most of the area has been covered. Uh, we are now talking about, I think, some I think, uh, exemption or relaxation to flying uh, 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 across the existing building, which uh, may be in the public area. That's the concern which Marvin raises, how to tackle the, 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 the I think, general public or the, or, or the, I think, tenant inside the building. They're concerned, okay, there might be something, is, uh, our, my, my privacy has been, has been pictured by the drone. That, that 
need to be tackled by revealing some, I think, rules and conduct for the drone operator. Right. And we're going to have to, presumably, if the government's taking a more hands-on role, we're going to have to indemnify or authorise these drone operators to to do the work. Because they might be looking at the building, but they might accidentally uh, see something that they shouldn't want, shouldn't see. Yes, some kind of identification or cross-checking need to be done. I mean, that would, could, could be discussed in detail, how, how to tackle it. Right. But Mrs Chen, what do you think about the, the what uh, Mr Zhao was suggesting, need, the need for some uh, rules and uh, uh, conduct? Uh, definitely. Rules and conduct must be imposed, especially in the uh, dense urban areas, uh, without, especially for three new buildings where there's no authorization from the building owners. Uh, so these things, um, the, uh, it could be, of, of one thing is that the government to do it, even the government need to do it very carefully. So I think that uh, totally agree what uh, Tony has just uh, uh, suggested. All right. And Mr. Chen, I just want to go back uh, briefly to your the inspections uh, that your group carried out on Hong Kong Island earlier. And, uh, and uh, the buildings uh, that were inspected were just on Hong Kong Island. Uh, do you expect the problem to be worse uh, in uh, Kowloon, where there are also many old buildings? Well, definitely. That is an ice in, uh, it's a tip in the iceberg, isn't it? Um, um, there are so many. Uh, we only have uh, surveyed uh, for, uh, 50 buildings and there are actually um, over uh, 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 three um, or four thousand of them. I think all are in countless similar uh, cases. I, 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 I think that is uh, that's really a, a problem the, the government should look into. What about public housing? Presumably if it's managed by the housing authority we ought to have a bit more confidence that the the, the inspections are going well, they are not. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, they are uh, um, um, proper management companies uh, to look after the maintenance. So you do a regular maintenance, regular checkup, regular repairs. I, I, I don't have uh, a particular concern about the uh, uh, public housing at the moment. We are mostly talking about private residential buildings and right. where the there's a problem with the identifying the ownership multiple ownership uh, multiple ownerships and there's uh, no such organization um, a resident uh, group can be uh, um, formed right. All right and mr chen you said you expect uh, the situation to be uh, or the problem to be worse on kowloon's side and uh, earlier this week i mean there was another falling concrete case in chim and a woman was injured um what's the situation like in chim do you know um you can see lots of building uh, over 30 uh, I, I think the third years uh, uh the main problem is even over 50 and 60 years i think that that Especially those buildings, uh, these three new buildings, they are not, uh, there is no regular maintenance whatsoever. Um, uh, it's an accumulated problem. So, um, um, so I think um, actually it, it would be uh, in general with these, uh, especially urban areas, Kowloon uh, uh, and uh, uh, even Sham Shui Po, where they used to be the, uh, in those days, they, these are the main class of buildings. 
or developments are concentrated. I think that will be the uh, um, uh, um, area of concern. All right, Mr. Chen, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Marvin Chen, the Honorary President of the Hong Kong Institution of Building Inspectors. Many thanks also to Tony Zhang, Chairman of the Building Division at the Hong Kong Institute of Engineers. It's now 9.48 and in a moment we'll find out more about the mainland's latest satellite that can help with disaster prevention. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. China has successfully launched the world's first high-orbit synthetic aperture radar satellite that will help with disaster prevention. To tell us more, we're now joined on the line by Professor Quentin Parker, the director of the University of Hong Kong's Laboratory for Space Research. Good morning, Professor Parker. Professor Parker? Are you there? Oh. Oh, I guess uh, he's not there. And... uh, Raphael he will was try. There. <laughs> he was there a second ago. Yep. P- and producers, I, guess, uh, I can see him through the window, desperately calling again. Okay. Well, anyway, Mike, how much do you know about the satellite? I mean, I just know it's uh, related to uh, environment. I think it can uh, help uh, uh, prevent disasters. I think the short answer is I was looking forward to the professor telling us. Oh, well, and I think uh, he is on the line again. Professor Parker, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know what happened. It's all right. Technology. Yes, technology. Can you um, first explain in layman terms what, what's uh, so special about this uh, latest satellite? Um, well, it's special because, first of all, it's the first one that China's put uh, so high into geosynchronous orbit that can, can look at about the third of the planet and, of course, cover all of the Chinese mainland and the surrounding areas. So that's the first big thing. And the second is it's a, a special kind of satellite. It's not, a, it's not a remote sensing satellite that looks at optical images, so you're directly looking at the ground with cameras and then sending the data back. This is a synthetic aperture radar uh, satellite, which uses... Um, microwaves to actually send signals from the satellite to Earth and then uh, look at what comes back to the satellite from Earth in reflection at those wavelengths. And so it's a, it's a kind of more passive in that sense that it's a, it actually se- sorry it actually sends uh, signals to the Earth and then looks at the delays in how long it takes the signals to come back and, and from that you can you can uh, learn more things uh, that you don't do with optical for example you can uh, operate 24 hours a day I mean that's what geosynchronous satellites are they're fixed above the same part of the Earth's surface all the time because they their orbit is the same as the orbit uh, duration of the planet to rotate on its axis so that's why it's so high. Uh, you know, above, uh, you know, 36,000 kilometres so above all, the surface of the Earth. So they're always looking at the, the same bit of Earth? Yes, always. 
Right. Geosynchronous. You know, if you've ever been along uh, <coughs> some of these uh, trips on, on Hong Kong uh, around the island and you see this, like, one island that has all these uh, nested dishes and you think, oh, my God, what is that? It looks like a huge spy satellite station or whatever. But a lot of those dishes are fixed. They don't change angle. They're looking at the same part of the heavens all the time. That's because they're looking at geosynchronous satellites, which, of course, on the sky look fixed points. Right, and I've been reading about this, and uh, this mm. satellite is supposed to help prevent disasters. I mean, how will it do that? So prevent what? Disasters. Disasters. Oh, like. disasters. I thought you said darkness. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm getting slightly deaf on this an old phone. So, yes. Prevent disasters. Well, you see, um, it helps to monitor the situation on the ground actively and continuously as it scans. And uh, the sensitivity of the way you... The difference in signal return reflects, uh, you know, uh, what's happening on the ground. So differences in height, difference in movement. These are, you know, these sensitive satellites, provided the signal strong enough, is sensitive to all these things. So they've been used in the past, you know, for uh, disaster management, like uh, earthquakes. And, you know, when there's an earthquake, the earth is quaking, i.e. it's moving about. It's shifting so much so that entire buildings can fall over. And so it's sensitive enough to actually look at the recursors to that and monitor that and under, help understand that. And also other changes, you know, changes in, in, in you know, in, in pollution levels, in, in what's happening with the oceans, around the land masses. And all these things are kind of what this kind of satellite is sensitive to, which is why they've called it l'auditance. Well, actually, why am I saying that in a French accent? <laughs> but anyway, it uh, means land exploration is what the translation of uh, Lidi Tans, and I'm not even sure what the uh, Putongwa pronunciation is, is that, because I can only look at it in a French way. I'm sorry. My wife's French, so, so I can't help myself. So <laughs> this kind of uh, satellite then could help us with tsunami? Uh, yes, it can. It can help. The, yeah, when you're looking at the way the ocean, if you suddenly see a bulge in the ocean, you say, "Oh my God, what's that?" You know, and if you're modelling it, you understand what that data means. Then you can actually have a pre-warning. Uh, there are other ways of doing it, of course. But the, you know, this is the first time that China will have such an incredible capability. Uh, Europe is looking at trying to do this as well, and but they're not going to. You know, even if their mission for this for the SAR um, uh, synthetic aperture radar system gets approved, it'll be another ten years before the Europeans will be able to look at their continental European landmass in the same way as China we were able to do now. Right. Um, which other countries, apart from Europe, uh, have been playing this game before? The Americans um, have anything? Well, the technology is not new, um, it, you know, and how it's used depends on various factors. Uh, you know, it's a, the band that you're using, and this is L-band, and in principle you have quite decent resolution with the L-band, but then uh, that's if you've got satellites much closer to Earth, and there are some existing uh, satellites that do SAR much closer levels in low Earth orbit. Uh, doing one from geosynchronous orbit is rarer, and the challenges are much greater because the signals are much weaker. So you can send down a strong... Um, microwave signal from the power you have on board your satellite, but then you have to, you know, detect what's reflected back over, the, you know, the vastness oh. of, you know, 36,000 kilometers. And so you need really high sensitivity antennas. You need big collecting areas on your satellites as well. So um, that's the challenge. And so that's why I think it is a challenging technology. It's because you're doing it at great distance. And what? it's because you're covering one third of the Earth's surface in principle. Right. Why do you think China gave priority to this? Um, it's a civilian mission, and, you know, if you, there's a Chinese white paper on its uh, vision for uh, space exploration and exploitation uh, that came out in 2021, and, and it's all about, you know, the civilian exploitation of space for 
mankind, as they say. You know, this data is going to cover more than China. It's going to cover, you know, Southeast Asia and other countries too. So that data, I presume, in some form will be available. Whether they try to monetize it or, or make it freely available, I don't know yet. But nevertheless, it's, uh, it's something they're doing for their nation uh, so that they can look after their own country better from extra data that the satellite will provide and give them more, you know, sample points in a way that the environment and the way that natural disasters, which, of course, with the uh, existential climate catastrophe sort of emerging day by day, it's always in the news now, uh, so that, um, you know, they will be in a better position to, to monitor what's going on and try to do something about it. And this uh, satellite we're talking about, is uh, actually the uh, second disaster prevention related satellite launched uh, within a week by China. Um, earlier, the environmental surveyor 2F was uh, launched in Shanxi province. How is this uh, latest satellite we've been talking about uh, different from the environmental surveyor 2F? Well, I, I'm not so familiar with that one, um, but, you know, they're, they're complementary. So uh, when you, uh, China doesn't, uh, you know, repeat things unless it needs to, and it has, so it sends things up with different capabilities. Of course, you need backups if one of them blows up on, on the launch pad, etc. which is why, you know, Changi 5, Changi 6, Changi 4, you know, one was uh, in case one didn't work, they had a backup plan, and then they could do something else with it. So, uh, but they're complementary. So you look at complementary capacities, uh, uh, you know, and uh, technologies which do different things that when bringing all the data from the different instruments together gives you a better overall picture than one would on its own. So it's all about, you know, uh, compatibility and complementarity so that the different missions actually, when you get the data from the different sensors and instruments working in different ways. Uh, not, they're not both SAR, I don't believe. And so this gives you, uh, you know, complementary technologies and imagery. Uh, one is maybe direct uh, imaging, and this one is, uh, um, you know, synthetic aperture radar. So the different technologies used, which bring, bring, bringing together, give you an overall improved environmental um, sampling of everything that's going on right. under that satellite that you can sample. So at the moment, then, the, the satellite is, is sending, if you like, the probe down to earth and then receiving well, back the launch, replies so it, you know it's got to get out to its uh it, out to its uh, geosynchronous orbit right. it's then got to do a lot of testing i mean every time you launch a satellite you have to test all the systems on board to ensure they're all nominal that is to say they're all working as expected sometimes they don't sometimes that's it you can't do anything about it and the mission is lost sometimes you can do remedial actions through your inbuilt command from commands you can send to the inbuilt computers and and, and sometimes you can fix it through patches and all sorts right. of different things they can do uh, so you have all these kind of backup plans already built into your mission uh, to give it some kind of uh, robustness. So uh, assuming that everything gets shaken down okay and everything is working uh, nominally, then uh, they will do go through testing of the data, look and testing its capabilities and sensitivities and performance. Once all that is done, and only after all that is done, will it actually start its proper mission. So these things aren't immediate. You know, right. you know, it's like the James O'Shea <laughs> telescope. It took a while to test the mirror alignments, get everything working, and then you can get the first data, and then the world gets very impressed. All right. That's uh, a very good start. Yes. All right, Professor Parker, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Quentin Parker, the director of the University of Hong Kong's Laboratory for Space Research. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and to our guest presenter, Mike Rouse, and producer, Raphael. And uh, Mike will be here again tomorrow with Danny Gittings, who brings you another episode of Back Chat.